Welcome to another episode of The Cubic Report. Today my guest is returning nephew, Colin Cubic, who is now living in Viv, Ukraine, where he is attending Ukrainian Catholic University. He is studying for a bachelor's degree in psychology and will be graduating in a few months. He's been on this podcast before, just before the end of 2022, the last few days of, of the year. Our last podcast was just before the end of the year, when he was back home in Spokane, Washington. But Colin was in Ukraine on February 24th, 2022, when the Russians invaded, and that was a lot of what we talked about the first podcast we had. He's been back to the U.S. and has studied online, but is in residence now in Lviv, Ukraine. So welcome to The Cubic Report, Colin. Thanks for having me, Uncle Victor. Okay, this is just wonderful to have you here. I just really enjoy talking to you and uh, find that you have a wealth of, of knowledge. So you are in Lviv, Ukraine, and the war is still going on. It's been 14 months or more now that the war has been going on in Ukraine, and you've been you know, involved with lots of people who had frontline experience you know, with the war. Of course, with LifeNets, we have been involved uh, with helping through Western Ukraine and also through Chernihiv. In fact, Colin, today I did talk to Dr. Pasichnik, who you know very well and stayed with in Chernihiv, Ukraine. We had a little talk yesterday to his staff and had a very nice talk and conversation uh, today. Anyway, it's good to have you here and be able to share some of what's happening here. So you returned back to Lviv. Tell us kind of what's happening here with your schooling and with coming to the end of your academic career there. Yeah, so we did our podcast Yeah, right towards the end of last year. And I remember you asked me what my next plans were and I was a little coy and didn't really open up. I was, uh, wasn't sure kind of what my plans were, but I think very quickly after we did our podcast, uh, I, had, I bought tickets to Lviv for the end of February. I bought tickets to, War, or to Warsaw on the 20th of February was there for about five days, and then I came back on the 25th, so a year and one day after the start of the full-scale invasion. And uh, it's been pretty chaotic since I've been back, but it's been, very, it's been a very interesting experience being with Ukrainians on the ground. And even though uh, I'm in Lviv and far away physically from all of the, the fighting, there's still there's still threats of rockets hitting our city. There's still, we still hear air raid sirens uh, a couple times a week. And often the air raid sirens don't necessarily mean that something is inevitably flying into uh, our city. It could just mean that uh, a, a Russian plane has taken off that carries supersonic missiles. And usually we don't have to take those, those air raid alarms too seriously, but we do take them seriously when we start seeing that there's been missiles launched from either the Black Sea or the Caspian Sea or somewhere in Russia or Belarus. Uh, you have a good, depending on where you're at in the country, you have 20 to 30 minutes to get to a, a bunker uh, to get somewhere to a safe place. And so uh, I, when I got here, I figured out where all of the the underground bunkers were, and uh, it's been a, it's been interesting experience in the sense of living at a country at war just personally uh what it's like having to deal with the air raid sirens but also 
getting to know Ukrainians and living with Ukrainians and hearing their stories and talking to them about what's going on with them personally, what struggles, what what things they're struggling with uh, that are connected to the war, but also impede in their on their life in just general because when you're at war that you can't really it's very difficult to plan your life and to figure out what your next steps are and so people try and live day-to-day lives but they're they're ready to to plan for the future and there's a lot of conflict personal conflict uh in trying to uh, get plan your life here well colin that's kind of the impression i got talking to dr pasichnik staff i talked to his secretary natalia shulha yesterday I, I thought i was getting a hold of his wife but it was i got the other natalia so we ended up talking for a long time yesterday and the report from her was is that they still have air raid sirens you know every so often but it's relatively safer much safer in town because a big percentage of the population of Chennai have had evacuated, but now half of them have returned. And, and she commented how there are kids playing in the streets, there's just more tra- uh, auto traffic you know, in the streets, and, and uh, it's just an air of optimism. Uh, surprisingly, you know, they're only about 45 miles or so from the uh, Russian border. So it's kind of interesting to hear what the state of the me- mental state of, of the people is, but still, uh, you know, yesterday, today's May 1st, and yesterday there were 23 missiles launched against Ukraine to various parts of the country. 21 of them, I guess, were knocked down to hit uh, the areas that they were intended for. So that type of thing is still there. I mean, who knows where the next rocket will land? It could be a village, it could be a big city, it could be an apartment building, it could be an electric power station. But one thing she commented on was that uh, electricity, water, gas, uh, all utilities are back working. And when I talked to Dr. Pasichnik today on um, on the phone, you know, we used video, we, we had an extremely good connection, like I think we're having now. Yeah, and right. you, you mentioned, you mentioned uh, people moving back to Chernihiv after being evacuated. And I think, yes, I agree that there's an air of optimism, but also there's a... There's a grittiness. There's a sense of this is our land. We don't want to. We don't want to move. We don't want to. We we left when we had to move. Uh, when when the Russians were right around the city. But this is our land. This is where we belong. This is where we want to be. And it's almost yeah. There's optimism, but there's also a toughness and grittiness in saying no. This is where we belong. Are there people that that you know that are kind of given up and said let's just have the Russians take it over and I don't want this war. I have not I have not met a single person. I'm sure there might be some people that might be thinking that that are tired and that are really just exhausted from the war. Um, but even those who are really exhausted, they're also there's a there's a sense of anger that that keeps them going, that keeps them uh, keeps them moving forward. I think there's a lot of people unfortunately uh, that that left Ukraine uh, that might have more of that attitude because they're just tired of it and they don't see they they might have given up personally I don't think they would advocate for giving up land to Russia but they themselves maybe have given up personally and and I I don't like saying given up they they've moved on uh, and they have lives in in other European countries that where they're busy where they have to deal with their own daily struggles being in those countries so I think I don't I I've not had a seen a hint of anyone saying or feeling that we should give. Uh, land to Russia to end this. Uh, everyone is very much on board and seems like 
we want we want to go to the borders that were 1991 and there's that and and it, i live in lviv in the west country in the western part of the country it might be different on the eastern side uh i don't interact with those ukrainians as much but as from what i can tell they're still ukraine is still very very united in the sense of doesn't want to give up any any an inch of land no and also they're beginning to take care of their own i'm, I'm just really impressed by how they're helping one another just even the way that we're working in in, in the west where uh, some of the refugees are actually manufacturing items like stoves and things that are needed for the, for the people in talking with uh, dr p they sent me a very touching uh, email a couple of days ago it shows the children at the rehabilitation center you know very obviously some of them have down syndrome autistic children and they had the children at this center where they have a hundred of them right now were making cards for people in the closer in villages and they had received a lot of sh big shipment of seed garden seed you know right now it's planting time started back in early april for tomatoes peppers uh, beets uh, and and so forth and so they had all these seeds and they had the children make individual packets up for families. Pictures are so touching because here we've been helping these kids and we're always thinking about helping, helping, helping. And here's these kids writing a, a note to people who are closer in villages where they said there's still a lot more shooting. They hear gunfire all the time. So they're sending these things on to the closer in villages. And talking to Dr. P today, so they give it to the military, and then the military distributes it in these villages. So here they are doing good things for the people in on the border. And you know, life kind of continues where this war is kind of a, a nuisance and irritation, even though it's something which is a life and death matter. But they're learning to cope with it. And, and I, I'm just really impressed with it. It's so much on my mind every day where you know I pray for the kingdom of God to come to end this whole thing. Oh, I, I uh, thinking about coping and just interesting because here uh, you see so many volunteering opportunities and working with internally displaced peoples and there's always volunteering opportunities and there's always people volunteering for other Ukrainians, wanting to help one another, wanting to support the military, wanting to support uh, the soldiers on the front. One of the things you I constantly see is donation opportunities for donating just small amounts of money to buy a drone, to buy uh, a, a pickup truck um, a, and get more equipment to specific uh, groups of people that are on the front. And it's 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 amazing watching this while they all live their just regular life. They they all go to school, they work, they do what they need to do to survive for each day. But also at the same time, they're supporting this huge military effort and supporting uh, the things that are going on on the front line. Uh, it's interesting. I, I one of the things I've been doing here uh, since I've gotten back, which is one of the reasons I was really excited to come back is doing stand up comedy. And so I do stand up, uh, a couple times a week, uh, three to four times a week. And it's usually most of the places I've done stand up are in, uh, bunkers or in bomb shelters. They're underground, they're in cafes that are underground. And so it's always a little ironic when the, when the host is mentioning that if there's air raid sirens, don't worry, you can stay here and you get a laugh. Uh, and it's it, people have their spirits high because they're they're laughing. They're continuing to live a regular life despite the what's going on in the background and just what's going on just 
it, it, it's not necessary. I wouldn't say I said it's in the background, but it's very much still in the forefront and people are still thinking about it constantly. And yet people still gather for stand up and want to laugh and want to uh, relax and have a good time. Well, I saw that, you know, I saw that in some communication and I thought I wasn't reading something right. Colin doing stand-up comedy in war-torn Ukraine. <laughs> I mean, so tell me more about that. How did you get into stand-up comedy in Ukraine right now? Yeah, so actually I started doing it before the full-scale invasion in 2021, towards the end of the year. Just started writing jokes and there was a couple of clubs here that you can go and do open mics. And then I left and was was out of it for 10 months and was just writing uh, and wanted to come back and, and perform more. And now that I've been back, I've started to really perform a lot. And it's always just interesting because a lot of the stand up, they do a lot of charity uh, don't or charity like events where they'll uh, get, get money for the military or specific battalions that need uh, specific equipment. And so the stand up uh, scene is very much growing here. And I think one of the reasons is because a bunker is a great place to do stand up. It's just a nice, cozy place, and everyone comes and gathers there. And uh, that's one of the, after our conversation today, I have a, I have to go. I'm going to do stand up at a at a at a bar, and so that's one of the things that I've been really working on here, and something that I want to keep developing and, and, and keep doing and being able to make people laugh uh, is, is one of the things I enjoy and I believe it's a talent of mine and I think that humor is important. Uh, it's important to not lose your sense of humor no matter what the situation is. Well, Colin, what's, uh, what's funny right now? What types of things are funny? Tell us more about your yeah. So, so um, what's funny? I mean, for me personally, I talk a lot about my experience as an American being in Ukraine, what it's like being a foreigner, what it's like to learn a language, what it's like to deal with a culture that's different than mine, that I see different weird idiosyncrasies within the culture that they might not necessarily see. But from an outsider's view, they, they enjoy that kind of humor. A lot of the other comedians especially towards the start of the war, there was a lot of aggressive humor towards Russians, which was obvious. Uh, that has that has kind of faded away a little bit, as in people, it's just too easy of humor. And uh, comics don't like to, to do easy humor. They like to do something more complex. And so there's, you don't see as many jokes about Russians. Uh, you'll hear jokes about European countries and their types of the, the way that they've been supporting Ukraine, whether it's Germany or France and certain countries' hesitations with uh, weapons deliveries. And so, the, I mean, and then also there's just the typical humor, humor of everyday life, humor uh, around every subject that's possible. Those are certain things that they like joking about. Well, can you share some of uh, the things that are funny about Americans and the Europeans? Um, well, one thing like Americans, like, for example, uh, like Americans for like a stereotypical American loves fast food. So I joke a lot about fast food and how uh, when I go to my relatives in the village, I get really sad because there's no McDonald's uh, and, and stuff like that. That's just an example. Or when it comes to Germany, I can't remember exactly, uh, but I think there was some scandal or something with weapons deliveries when it came to Germany. And so they mocked Germany a lot and they mocked France a lot. Uh, they mocked uh, the president of France for his 
uh, approach to peace talks in the sense of we can just talk about it. Uh, they, they joke a lot about how uh, European countries or American countries talk about we just need to talk. We just need to have peace deals and talk uh, and, and we can talk them out of this. But Ukrainians see that completely different as in you can't talk to terrorists. You can't talk to these people. They're, they're going to come to your house, come to your country and, and, and shoot you. Uh, so it's it's very it's they see the war very differently because they're living directly through it um, instead of European countries who see it from who see see the realities of it, but don't necessarily feel the realities on the ground of when you're getting shelled when there's rockets landing in your city, it's very difficult to say you just need to talk to them, um, and so they 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 humorize that uh, in some sense, I'm sure there 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 are jokes. I, I the the thing is I don't I don't really listen to Ukrainian comedy that much. It's very difficult for me to understand uh Ukrainian jokes because there's there's kind of an insider joke. Also a lot of the comedians will speak quickly and I'll miss something or I'll mm-hmm. I'll understand it but I won't feel the humor that they're trying to portray. Um so I'll understand the logic of the joke and why it's funny, but I won't it'll be difficult for me to actually laugh at it cuz I don't feel it uh like they feel it. So uh, some of it uh, might be gallows type humor, you know, just uh, kind of dark humor. Yeah, I, I think there's there's definitely dark humor. You really don't you don't really hear any jokes about the the you don't hear really jokes about soldiers um, on the ground uh, and and what they're going through. You don't hear jokes about the traumatic events that might be happening, like such as uh, a couple of days ago when. Uh, when a rocket hit uh, central Ukraine and uh, 20 people died, there wouldn't, you would never hear a joke about that. Um, you don't hear jokes about, you hear jokes about politics and Zelensky and the president, but they, there's, no, there's never really a sense of uh, malice when you hear those jokes about like the president, um, they'll be more playful. And then you'll, uh yeah you don't so so the, the they pe- comics know their limits and there's been a couple of cases where comics have have made jokes about soldiers and the the community really really uh hits gets down on them uh for for making uh for making such jokes so you don't uh, joking you don't joke about soldiers you don't joke about the war what the specific events that happen at the war um you can joke about the president but usually it's like i said it's not malicious in any sense the the jokes that i tell i usually avoid all anything related to the war um just because i don't want to it's 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 a risk <laughs> and i don't want to uh risk it and i have other i have other things that i think are funny so i don't need to to need to really joke about the war i'll i'll make a joke about russians every once in a while but that those jokes are kind of too easy What about the bomb shelters? Tell us about that. Do they sing in the bomb shelters? I understand that in some places there's some really good, uh, amazing uh, acoustics in those places. I haven't, I haven't, I haven't seen singing in the bomb shelters yet. Um, I haven't, I haven't really spent much time. I haven't really had to. Um, there's only been a couple cases where there's rockets flying across the country where I, I've had to, um, where I've had to go to a shelter, but. Other than that, I, I I know there are singing and I know there are certain places. Um, and I think that was a lot of that singing that we saw um, 
it was in the winter when there were long there were massive massive missile attacks and they would knock out the energy and you would have to spend hours in the bomb shelter right now you're not having to spend as much time uh in the in the bomb mm-hmm. shelters i know that uh, talking today to uh uh, people in, in in Ukraine, conversation could be very light. It could be you know talking about hey we're looking forward to seeing you again and when the war ends and when we gain victory you know we really want you to come and visit us again which my wife and I are so very anxious to do. We've been there. We've been to Ukraine twenty thirty times. No, <laughs> you know and and we we would like to be able to do another trip to Ukraine. But then they could also talk at the almost the next sentence and say well you know we had a delegation of six people here who uh, went out to the front, you know, to deliver some humanitarian items. And this was uh, the people from Chernihiv who went uh, someplace. I, I couldn't get the location. And they said they, we had not heard from them in two months. We don't know what happened to them. There's absolutely no trail of what happened to them. We don't know if they were all killed. We don't know if they were all killed. We don't know if they were taken prisoner, but we just haven't heard anything from them. You know, they kind of just matter-of-factly talk about. I'm sure it's more than matter-of-factly, but... This is a kind of life that they have, and and it's just like going back to World War II, which I didn't experience. That was before my time. But talking about the things that are happening of that nature, of that caliber. Yeah, um, it's interesting the 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 way they talk about it because I've I, I live I live right now with twenty people in one apartment, and they're all young, uh, twenty to twenty three years old. Um, and a lot of them are very anxious about, uh, they, they, they also speak very matter of factly about what the situation is. And I have friends whose, uh, boyfriends are on the front line and they're waiting. It's, it's a very difficult to wait, uh, cause they, they want their lives to start, but, and everyone wants their lives to start and they kind of have to wait and they have to be very much they have to look at it very soberly of what's going on because it's very difficult to make big decisions uh, where you're going to make your next profession, what city you're planning to move to, if you're, if you're planning to do so, if you're going to continue education, what are you going to do for your next education? It's the, the next steps are very difficult. And so they speak very soberly about kind of the situation uh, on the war. And they talk, there, there are times where I hear before the war, uh, it was like this, but now it's it's different, and uh, so it's it's interesting to hear their stories um, and mm-hmm. what they're talking about. Are these mostly Ukrainian students? They're all with? they're all Ukrainian students. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't know of any other international students. So you don't have you don't have international students there at Catholic University. There was I know there there has been, and there's international teachers, and there's people. And I, and I think there might be some other international si- students in the city um, just going to other universities. Actually, I know there are, but um, I, don't, I don't know who they are, and I haven't talked to them. You had mentioned McDonald's there before, joking about it. I- I've been to the McDonald's in Lviv. Is that open or is that yeah, closed? It's open. Thank goodness. <laughs> I think that we were talking last time. They had closed it and it was closed for a long time, but... I don't know if they have just one McDonald's or, but I I know that I have been there. They I think they have I think they might have five. They have, five. They have quite a few. Oh really? <laughs> it's, it's amazing. It's, it's been several years since uh, I have been there on our way from Western Ukraine driving to uh, Dr. Pasichniks. It was a nice four hundred mile, five hundred mile drive. 
Colin, after your parents are coming now, what is graduation day, about July 1st or so? Yeah, so they come uh, to Warsaw the 29th or 30th of June, and I'll, I'll drive, I'll take a bus to Warsaw to meet them, and then I'll take them back through the border, and we'll be in Lviv for, I think, four nights uh, here in Lviv, and then we'll spend some time in Warsaw. And yeah, I, so I have graduation July 1st. July 1st. Okay, well, congratulations. I'm just very, very proud of you. And what do you plan to do after graduation? Oh, it might be a little coy again. Uh, <laughs> I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I'm not sure exactly. I'd like to stay here. Um, I'm looking for job opportunities. Uh, my visa ends June 30th. And so I have to think about what my next steps are. After my visa expires, I can still be in the country for 90 days with just a passport. And so mm -hmm. I'm planning to, I'll, I'll plan to be here through, through the summer and then we'll see what job opportunities come. I would still, I still want to keep um, developing my stand up and keep doing that. because I'm starting to, I guess, I guess people are starting to notice me a little bit in, in my stand up, and there's, there's opportunities there too. But I don't know if I could get a work visa by doing stand up. I'd have to get a, a maybe an official job. Are you on YouTube anywhere on stand up? Uh, not on YouTube. I'm not. I, I haven't. I don't. Uh, I'm working on my material, and so I'm trying to not put anything out publicly yet. I'll I'll, I'll do that later. I I plan to release some stuff um, later and and release my stand up sets. But right now I'm just trying to perform as much as possible. Work on jokes uh, that I right uh and so um it takes a while and um but it's 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 one of the funnest things to do here is just to go and make people laugh a, the human mind is one that needs different muses you know to keep it uh, occupied music literature reading prayer part of this in stand-up comedy is is another the relief that comes from from humor and uh, I'm just very, very curious. I know that our audience will be very, very interested in, in hearing more about this. Well, Colin, is there anything else that you would like to uh, tell us about where you're at now and what's coming up? Um, no, I mean, right I, now, I, right now, um, I'm just, I have to finish my bachelor's paper, my research paper that I've been working on all year, which is also about humor and, and the sense of humor among Ukrainians and Americans and uh, how uh, your sense of humor is connected to how, how resilient you are as a human being and different aspects of humor and the way people use humor. Um, another thing that I did want to mention, we haven't talked about, but I did go to our relatives and that was interesting going and in, going to their village of about, I think it's like 400, 500 people. And that was a good experience. And there was a lot of, um, there was talk about the war and how it's affected the young men in the village and how uh, in their region about 20 men were mobilized and they're on the front line. And so, but it was also Easter and it was really nice to get to be with them and spend time with people that I don't really know, but we're, we're the, we have the same blood and we're relatives and it was really a, it was really a great time. Yes, I know that we had planned to do this podcast and it was during the week that you were gone there. You said you went to Uhorsk. And I thought, wow, I know that. That's where my dad lived. And, you know, he lived in a little settlement, which was just right next to where my grandmother, which I did see. Actually, she was the second wife of my grandfather. The first one died in World War 
uh, during World War II of some disease, dysentery, whatever. And then he remarried, and I was so happy to be able to say that I had been with my grandmother, and I had some photos of it. And then we climbed this little hill behind the house that they had, and they showed the open plain and showed where my dad used to stay with another family a lot because my dad's family was very large. He had many siblings, and so some of them lived with other people, other friends. So he spent a lot of time at this uh, uh, location. So uh, maybe say a few more things about your impressions of of Uhorsk and, and the area around. Uh, who else did you see? Yeah, so I, well, I went there and uh, to get there, it takes a, quite a while. You have to, I did take a train and then a bus and then another bus. And the last bus was the, it was in kind of like a hilly mountainous area. And it was, the roads were full of potholes and it was very, just like very, very beat down village. And unfortunately the time I was there, it rained quite a bit, so there was a lot of mud, and so I couldn't do it. I, I didn't do so much exploring because of the weather, but our relatives, so I visited your dad's sister, uh, so your aunt, uh, Valya, and she's, uh-huh. she's uh, Hannah, Hannah and David's youngest, uh, youngest uh, child. I think she's thir- about 30 years younger than Ihor was, and so I visited her and her family. Her husband was there and her daughter, and then, unfortunately, a lot of the relatives live in Poland, and so I didn't get to see them. And uh, mm-hmm. other relatives were in Kiev, so I was just with the three of them, and we relaxed. I didn't. I ate a ton of food, ate a ton of food, slept a lot. Really, just kind of regained my energy, and it was really peaceful just being in the village and uh, in in nature and far away from all of the noise. And it was it was a good time. We had our Easter brunch and that's just a giant table with a ton of food uh and then you uh, you're constantly eating and they the way they uh get around the village is they have a horse and buggy and so we rode on the horse and buggy to get to the to their friend's house for easter brunch and that was a that was a very cool experience yeah we saw the little video clip from uh, of the horses running, who saw the horses back ends <laughs> as you were riding along. Were you? Uh, did you stay in Dubno then? I did not. I did not. I haven't. I haven't visited our relatives in Dubno for a couple of years. Okay. Well, I thought that Uhorsk was not just outside of Dubno. Yeah, I think it is. I think I just went a different route to Uhorsk. I went from the south, from Ternopil region, and I'd have to go uh-huh. from the north, uh, from Dubno region, if I wanted to go through okay. Dubno. Well, I know that just reading about you going to those places just brought back a lot of memories because we've gone back you know, several times to, to visit the relatives. And, of course, uh, some have died. You know, Aunt Viera, who we felt very close to, and then my cousin, uh, Vasily, you know, he, he died. And, uh, of course, Grandma has died here, here since. So they've passed. But it was interesting in Uhorsk. Did you go to the family cemetery there? Uh, in, I did. I did. I went and saw... I did see where uh, my great-grandpa, David, was, was buried, yeah, yeah. and then where his first wife was buried, and then some other distant relatives. Uh-huh. And there were some of my dad's brothers who died in the war. Uh, I think, I'm not even sure how many of his brothers died. One stepped on a mine. Uh, one died of uh, some disease, you know, uh, some, some dysentery or things that were, you know, going through some, you know, uh, terrible things 
that were taking place during the war. And it's just so sad, Ukraine, you know, 1991, it uh, gained its independence. And I know that the last time that they had written a uh, congratulations to us, they oftentimes send us a congratulations for July 4th. They said, you've been a nation now for over 200 years, and, you know, you're still continuing on. And here we've been a nation for less than 30 years, and our independence might be coming to an end. It's just, it's just sad. Well, anyway, Colin, it's just been really great talking to you. We wish the very best for Ukraine, which I'm very Ukrainian at heart. You know, my father was from that western part of uh, Ukraine, and he grew up there. And it was just wonderful to see you go back to that village of Uhorsk. And, and see him. You know, the village next to them is about two miles away. Uh, did you get to that village there? That's where he was. Okay. I believe that that's where my dad was actually born. They, 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 they then moved to Uhorsk. And when the Germans came in, in uh, you know, when they invaded in World War II, there was some reason why they gathered up 80 people, put them in a barn, and burned it down. It was a great massacre. And they have a, a shrine built uh, to that. But thankfully, you know, my dad, by that time, his family had moved over to Uhorsk and, and stayed there. Is there any words of advice or anything that you would like to leave with people since you're right there, alive in Lviv? Yeah, I think, I think it just, um, it's, it's very difficult, I think, for people in the West, especially after a year and so many months of the war going on to keep it on your mind. And I just ask people just to not forget and forget what's going on and pr keep praying and it's it is it is a very difficult situation here and the people here are extremely resilient and extremely adaptable and are capable of continuing on and they're in the harshest conditions and i just hope that in the west that people keep moving on and, and keep supporting ukraine uh, because on the ground you can see the real real hard effort of trying to win this war and trying to make Ukraine completely independent and not in the sense of in in the sense of just getting Russia just like when America became independent the Brits still there was still wars going on after that and that it, it's difficult to see but I just hope that people keep supporting keep praying for Ukraine and keep it on their minds even though it's it is difficult to think about what's going on on the on the other side of the world but I still think it's important I do too, and I, I try to uphold that same type of narrative too because people get tired of hearing the war. I know that when I post anything on Facebook stories, that when I post anything about Ukraine, it tends to get very little. You know, I could post something silly and get a lot of response, and then you post something about what's happening in Ukraine. People just like to turn away from that because it's so unpleasant. We don't know where it's going to end up. I just don't want to think about it or be bothered by it. So I appreciate, I appreciate your comments about people just remembering and uh, but one thing that people do say when i write or call them thank you for remembering us thank you for not forgetting us they really do appreciate that okay well colin thank you very much appreciate your being here on the podcast we're glad to have you and we'll talk to you again it's great being here we thank you our listeners for joining us here today for the cubic report if you have enjoyed this podcast please share it and tell your friends about it we can be found on a variety of platforms, including Podbean, which includes information about this podcast, Apple and Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, Audible, Pocketcaster, and other podcasting platforms. You can easily find us on any browser address bar, 
by simply typing in the words, The Cubic Report. And there we are. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to hear your impressions and suggestions. So write to us at thecubic at gmail.com. V-K-U-B-I-K at gmail.com. Again, thank you for listening. Come back soon for more.